Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, and you can just hold there with me. Uh, We're doing a series called What Makes a Family and What Makes a Church? What Makes a Family? And last week we talked about that families uh, choose love. And not just families, but church families choose love. And that as a believer, we are adopted by God as orphans. We are adopted into love. And that we should, as a church family, be adopting other people into love. Because if God chose to love us, we must choose, make a choice to love others. So families, a good family chooses love and a good church family chooses love. And today we're going to talk about that families make time for memories. Families make time for memories. Uh, Every year, uh, my family has this thing called the Varner Family Reunion. My mother was a Varner uh, from northeast Louisiana, southeast Arkansas, and every year at Christmas, we have a family reunion. It started off with six siblings of my grandfather's sisters, and six siblings, and every uh, year was a way to get all their families spread across Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas to come back together. And at Christmas, we have this big reunion, about 50 to 60 people. And it, our family is very unique. I don't know if we're just crazy or whatever, but we rent this lodge out every Christmas. I've done it for 30 years. And these 50 or 60 people, we potluck, we cook a brisket or whatever kind of theme. And every year is themed, whether it be Charlie Brown Christmas or the Grinch Old Christmas or Rock and Roll Christmas or whatever. And we dress up and we have a skit and we sing songs and music. And there's uh, an auction, there's cakewalks, there's uh, raffles sometimes, prizes and all kinds of things for the kids. And so uh, my family's pretty fun, right? Uh, so we do that every year. And What I've noticed of being a part of this, now we moved away to Missouri for most of my life, that early on we were very tight, but the longer you're separated, it's like this distance comes between you. Now, those uh, older ones who had grown up together on the farm and rode their bikes across the country and jumped hay bales, how many people ever jumped hay bales before? That's right jumped hay bales from hay bale. Those people who grew up that way and spent 20 years of their life together, they seem to be able to just pick right up where they left off. But as we've gotten grandkids and great-grandkids and great-grandkids, I've been showing up lately thinking, who in the world are these people? I don't know any of them. And especially that I moved away, and now I only see them for three weeks, you know, uh, three hours every year and sometimes every other year. Uh, It's kind of like I know we're blood family but we don't have the time invested to really be close, to be intimate. And families, be, the reason those, 20, those older folks who've come every year and they can pick right back up is that they have spent 20 years making memories together. And that's what really a part of making a family is, making memories together. It's the time spent together. So strong families... Spend time together. Everything from your daily routine in your family to your, uh, the day-to-day grind, brushing your teeth, and the random screaming and crying in my house, uh, you know, or the crazy giggles and laughs and all that random stuff that happens, to family vacations, those uh, lasting memories, those Disney trips and those things like that. All those memories come together, and in the busyness of life, uh, it can get hard to begin to think about, okay, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a, as a man or a woman, as a husband, as a father, as a dad, making memories with my kids or with my family. 
You can see there's this difference between, uh, in America today, you can sign your kids up for sports and say, I'm doing a good job being a good dad, paying for their college and paying for their food and putting a roof over their head. And it's another thing to go to their games, right? It's a, it's, it's, you're both a family, but the time there is what really makes the family who lasts because families make time for memories. And the same is true today of a church family. It's not the church house, it's not the building, it's not the time slot, the fact that we can all say, yes, I'm a member of that church. It's not a letter that people transfer from place to place. It's not a a membership roster. It's not a board meeting. It's not a kids program. It's a people who love God and love others. It's a people who, who make time for one another and are invested in each other's lives because this building will fade, this programs will change, the colors of our carpet and pews, all those things are not what makes a family no more than it says that you, because you live at such and such address and because you have such and such job and you wear such and such clothes and you vote such and such ways, you would never define your family by that. But so many people in America define who they go to church where they go to church at, as church. But they don't define their relationships at church like they define their families. And we're going to get into that this morning because a church is a people who are in close proximity to one another, who are making time. Uh, Recently, uh, Beth and I just went back up for Christmas and we uh, visited our young adult group. Uh, We were privileged to pioneer a young adult ministry early on uh, at my tenure at uh, the First Assembly of God Church up in Missouri. And so we haven't been there. It's been five years. This is our sixth year now in Gina. And it's been five years, and many of them I haven't seen for three years. So it's been several years that I've even seen any of these guys and gals, and they all have kids now. And so we go back, and we go out to eat with about uh, 15, 20 of them. And it was just like... Like, it never ended. It was just, these, these people are individuals because we went to their birthday parties. I baptized them. I married some of them. Uh, you know, I, I went to, we had uh, 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 Easter things we went to. We had retreats. We had camps. And we had to have somebody over at our house every Friday or Saturday night. We played games all hours of night. And I'd be texting the guys throughout the day. And we lived life together as this small group of young couples. And, and because we were a family, and that family, and it's the, for that reason, that family, when one of them is having trouble today, they can still call me and I can say, hey, you're not thinking right. You're being foolish. Stop it. And they'll respect that because I have invested love into their life, that they trust me. We've bonded. We've cried together. We weep together. All because we've spent time making memories. It's just like any relationship, though, but if you don't continue to put time and energy and effort into that relationship, that connection will fade. So here's my question for us today as we get into the Word. If we were to look at your time spent today with other people in your church, what kind of family member would you be? Would you be that close family member that everybody knows your name and, and, and you're, you're in those deep relationships, crying and weeping with others? Or would you be like that distant third cousin once removed married on the father's side that they're like every Christmas are thinking who is that guy in the back what is his name again you know who I'm talking about you go to family things you're like I have no clue who that dude is he looks pretty strange you're like would we be that kind of a church member and be like I think I know that person because families make time for memories 
How well do you know your church family? Ooh, it's going to be quiet in here today. A church family makes time for memories. Let me give you the context. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. If you got your Bible, somebody say amen. It's also on the screen. Being together matters. Being together matters. How does a church be a family? And how does a family be the church? How does a church be a family? And how does a family be the church? Let me give you the context. There was house churches, okay? In the early church, it was formed with house churches. Acts chapter 2 gives us the context, starting off with the church. And that said they were meeting together with gladness and sincerity of hearts from house to house, breaking bread. And, and they were having favor with all the people. And they would go to the temple. And they were one mind and one accord. And what would happen is, as the church began to grow and expand... Uh, mostly through persecution, by the way, they began to meet in houses. It'd be about maybe about 20 people or so, and a rich patron would often uh, allow the house to be used. They had a big house, a big courtyard, and they'd come to the middle of that house, and the middle of that house was often a square, a U-like table, and they would meet in that place, and they would break bread together, they would eat together. The Bible says they would sing songs and hymns, making melodies in their heart. Sometimes and often they'd have prophetic gifts being in use. One would bring a word, one would bring a sermon. And, and as the church began to grow, they began to elect elders and people who would be called bishops or presbyters, which we know now as pastors. And they would be elected to serve and be that person who brought that word. But everybody was responsible to come together and bring something. It was a family. Not only that... But as Rome began to notice Christianity, and as Jews began to distance themselves from it, they began even more strict persecution. Uh, for instance, Rome would think of this cult-like Christian thing. They wouldn't know what it was. It didn't fit into their mode of other religions. And you had to have a permit in Rome to have, Christi uh, to have a religion, and it never did qualify. And so they thought, well, when people are meeting behind closed doors, and they're doing these secret things that we don't understand, these little mystical things, they're, they're drinking this cup and calling it blood, and they're having this bread and calling it a body, and it's just kind of some weird, crazy nuthouse people, right? And, and they're worshiping, and they're always happy all the time, and there's... And, and in Rome, you didn't have men and women mixing, and you didn't have rich and poor mixing. So what is this thing? You know what they're doing? They're starting a revolt. They're going to revolt against the emperor, so we need to shut it down. So they begin to make people bow down before the emperor's statue, and if you didn't bow down and you didn't stop doing this, we would arrest you, and if you didn't then stop, we would kill you. And so people began being persecuted. It was their outcast of society. It was illegal to meet, and they began to meet behind closed doors on Sunday nights and secretly throughout the week. And then Jews said, "We don't. this isn't Judaism. It looks kind of like it, and there's a bunch of Jews in it, but it's not Judaism. And so they said, well, we're, gonna, we're distancing ourselves. Say, so you can't come to synagogue or the temple uh, anymore if you're going to identify with that. In fact, you can't even come to family dinner. And in fact, I'm not even going to sell to you at my store anymore. And you are dead to me, son, because you're going that way. That's not the way. And so they began to lose families. Families were beginning to be broken up and divided. And if you wanted to be a Christian, you went out there and publicly got baptized at the river. And everybody in your family would know, and you would have to make a choice that day. This is the way. That's what they called it. This is the way I'm going. And it was a big deal. And so guess what? You needed a church family. You had no one else. There was no one else. Your family was dead to you. The authorities looked at you like a stranger. And all you had was each other worshiping and eating and communion and prophecy and teaching. And that became the early church. But here's the deal. 
from the very beginning, we had people who struggled to attend church. Their struggle was a lot different than our struggle in America. But from the very beginning, the Bible says that people began to lose endurance. And Hebrews says they began to shrink back. Not only probably the fear of persecution, the pressure of your family, the inability to buy and sell things even in the market anymore. And you had to make a decision. Is it worth it to be the church? Is it worth it? So the author of Hebrews, he says, here's, he's in chapter 10, verse 23, and let's get to where he's at. He says, guess, and I'm going to paraphrase the first uh, 23 verses. He says this, because you have such a great, not only a cloud of witnesses, but he says you have such a great Jesus, this great high priest who is making intercession for you, who has forgiven all of your sins, and he has given you this new family, this household of faith, this household of God. And because you have now direct access into the presence of God, that's what you've been given. He's overshadowing what they've lost with what they've been given. He says, because you have Jesus and all of this stuff, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is, everybody say, faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate, that word is provoke, motivate, stir up one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking or neglecting our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Who's the some? He's talking about those that have fallen away, that are shrinking back, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And no joke, it was probably thinking, this is the end. And in the time of Nero and, and Domitian, uh, you would see Christians being impaled on a stake, lighting the streets. I mean, this was no joke. To be the church, you had to be legit. You had to be the real deal. And you had to love one another. There was no, uh, the Bible says in Jesus, uh, Jesus even said before he left, he says, guys, family's going to turn in families brothers and, and sons, and all they're going to turn against these are mothers and daughters, fathers and sons. And he says that this now is your family. This is your family. He looks to tell his mom comes in. I told you this last week. His mom shows up, wants to hear him preach. And he says, no, 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 wait a minute. Mom's outside. These are my moms. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. The born again believers are the family of God. You and I are a household of faith. There was a pastor just this year, was it 2018, it was on the news just a few weeks ago that he and his congregation in China, where it is illegal to have a non-registered church. You have, if you want a church in China, you have to have a state church where the state can come in, audit your sermons, tell you what you can and cannot do. And there are some great state churches. But these churches were underground churches. And this pastor had been repeatedly warned, stop meeting, stop meeting. You don't have a permit. You don't have a permit. And he said to his church that we have just, we're just going to believe and follow the Lord. He and a hundred of his members showed up and were arrested just not a few months ago for being a church family. How many people in America would show up on a Sunday morning at 1030 across this country knowing if I show up today, I'm going to be separated from my kids. I'm going to a prison, a jail cell that is not like U.S. jail with Internet and TV and cable and rights. It would be you are going to somewhere and we don't know where the key is. Because I believe that being the family in the church of God and worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth is the most important thing in my life. Because around the world, this is the real church. 
They are choosing every day to be the people of God, taking all risk and saying, because we have a Jesus, because He is so faithful, because He's making intercession for us, because He allows us to boldly go to the throne of grace, we are going to hold fast our confession. Yet we can say, well, I've got those games, I've got those things, I've got those plays, I've got that TV show, I didn't get to DVR it all week, but I really need to catch up on some Netflix. How many people think that's the church? I told you it's going to be quiet. <laughs> because here's why. I'm not just going to, I'm not going to just be mean to you today. I really want to encourage you because the author of Hebrews says, guys, it's worth the risk to be together. To be together in worship on a weekly or regular basis is worth the risk. Why? Because if you go on just a little few verses down, he begins to warn them about lukewarmness. And he begins to tell them about people who shrink back. And he begins to tell them, he says, guys, uh, I'm warning you about lukewarmness and backsliding. He says that those who stop meeting together are often turning back on their so-called commitment to Christ. He's saying, like, it's kind of like that parable of the sower. He says there's some they had the seed, but it was the cares and the fears of the world that began to choke out the word of God from their heart. And some others, it's Satan begins to pluck it away, and, and the seed never gets roots. It never grows. It never produces anything. And so it's like it's never was even there. It's like it's never was even there because they've shrunk back. And he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, he says that there are some who have been shrinking back and, it, and Christ has no pleasure in those who shrink back. In fact, they will be destroyed. Because they've, they've lost their first love. They've left it all. That It wasn't about their church attendance, but it says there's this slow fade. And man, we fight this so much in America today. And I can tell you as a pastor of 11 years that those that miss and miss, miss some more. And those who don't get involved, get involved less. And those who don't pray, pray less. And those who don't read, begin to read less. And before you know it, you wake up one day and the devil's got you exactly where he wants you. And you look up and you're like, well, what happened? I can tell you, it was a slow fade. And, and I love what Warren Wiersbe, he's a great a commentator, he says it this way about this passage. He says, guys, they're, they're the believer who begins to drift from the word, he says, you'll soon start to doubt the word. He says, and then soon you won't just drift and be doubtful. He says, soon you'll become dull to the word of God and lazy in your spiritual life. And he says, this will result in you despising the word, which is the theme of this passage. Some people begin to drift and then they begin to doubt and then they got dull and then they begin to despise it. And then one day it's as if they never were even saved. It's as if it never even happened. It was as if there was never anything there to begin with. And he's saying, but the real deal Christians, those, those ones who truly love God and love one another, they don't, aren't even just adopted into love. They don't just have the love of God in them, but they begin to love others. And he says, guys, it's worth the risk because we have such a great Jesus. It's such a great thing that he's done for us. And because you, can, you don't just have to wait once a year now to go into the presence of God where two or three are gathered. He, the tangible, awesome, almighty, presence of God is in your midst and how can TV be better than that how can entertainment be better than the presence of God and why would you even want to go to heaven 
If you love TV and entertainment and hobbies and sports and extracurricular activities, if you don't enjoy being in the presence of God with saints, you'll worship for eternity. And if you don't enjoy it now, you'll never enjoy it then. I'm done. No, not really. Be together. Be together. We need each other. I need you, by the way. I do. Our unity in Christ is our strength. That's why we work so hard in this church to bring the churches together in unity across this parish is because our unity is our strength. Our, our unity in Christ is saying that God has really born us again, that we love one another. We can challenge one another, he says, to do good works. He, we can warn each other of sin. I can pray for you. You can pray for me. You can exhort me. Don't let me miss. Don't let me fall into sin. Don't let the devil come and, and rob me or someone in my family. I'm, I thank God for a youth pastor that can warn our kids and encourage them and bring them back, or a kid's pastor, or, or small group leaders that say, hey, if you see me falling away, please call me. Please, please, because it's worth it that you would invest time in my life to encourage me. If, if bad things happen to me, I want someone to lift me up, and when you're down, I can pray for you and lift you up because we need each other it's not easy to be a christian in fact you can't i don't even think you can do it alone because our strength is that we come together and say god i believe that being together we're better than we are separate in fact ignatius one of the early church fathers right after paul and them had died he wrote this he said when you frequently and in numbers or numbers are meeting together he says the powers of satan are overthrown and his mischief is neutralized by your like-mindedness in the faith. This is a man, by the way, who was martyred. He's saying, but church, in the days that we the dark days when people are dying and being impaled and fed to the lions, but when you keep meeting together, the powers of Satan will be overthrown. Think about it. I'm not facing any lions lately. But if we would meet together when we're not facing lions and persecution, what could the church do in LaSalle Parish, Louisiana, if we would just say, yes, we are committed to God and to one another to see Jesus' kingdom come down in this place? Christ is coming. Press in. We're a spiritual household, Ephesians says, and you and I have a responsibility to God. If God is the Father, Jesus is the Son, the Holy Spirit is in our DNA, we are a family. And families make time for memories. Families make time for memories. Do you need each other? Do you care if others need you? I think that maybe that's why what we deal with in America more so. We know we need somebody, and I know I can just call the pastor even though I've never been to church in six months. Hey, please pray for me. Please come to my hospital. But do you care that other people might need you? Other people in our family might need you. Let me give you three things before we go today, three things that apply that we can take this home. Three things that we can apply and take this home that, that our togetherness matters, but also our time matters. Number one is this, if you're writing this down, prioritize family time. In your life, whether you're a mom or dad, grandma, grandpa, prioritize family time. And the same is true for a church. Prioritize your family time. No one tells me to spend time with my family. I do it because I love them. No one tells me to spend time with my church family. I do it because I love them. But sometimes our priorities get out of line. I'll be real personal, real, real raw this morning. Uh, when I, uh, my family, my mom and dad worked very hard from nothing. We, we, they got married in a trailer. He was a, a, a 
got, worked at a grocery store. My mom worked at a teller in a bank and worked their, their selves uh, to the bone and moved us to Missouri for a better job, better, better school. And uh, through that time, my dad just began to work. No high school, I mean, just a high school degree. Neither one of my parents went to college or anything like that. And uh, just began to work really hard. And uh, my mom ended up getting a, getting a, buying her out uh, our own business. And my dad became uh, an industrial engineer at, at a clothing factory. And and just everything they got, they began to work for. Well, I was in the seventh grade, and I'd never been much on sports anyway, right? I, yeah, I was not the buff figure you see before you uh, always, right? Anyway, I was a scrawny toothpick of a kid and had no coordination. I was a nerd, by the way. So I'm, I'm proud of it now. I'm, I'm older now. I can accept it and who I was. I accept myself, right? Uh, but anyway, seventh grade in PE, you had to play football. And uh, I told you, you know. Uh, I wasn't a football player, by the way, but I realized at seventh grade, and we got tested on how you could throw a football across the football field. I didn't know how to throw a football in the seventh grade, and I, we, I asked my dad if he could teach me it in the seventh grade, which is kind of old, and, and uh, anyway, me and him never, uh, he could never teach me anything because I was too hard-headed, and so um, we kind of got into an argument about it, and through that argument, he realized that even though he was trying to provide us a nice house, a nice home, and we had gotten a pool, and, and he was doing all that he could, he realized that, you know, working so much, I realized I hadn't taught my kid how to throw a football. And to this day, I still can't throw a football, by the way, so it didn't really matter. Uh, but he changed some things. I remember as a, as a young kid remembering my dad taking more of an interest in family time with me, throwing the ball and going places, and we played music together in a youth band and different things like that. And it mattered. He made a change, and it mattered. And you can make a change today, and it matter in somebody's life. Uh, we have to reprioritize our commitments in this world and not follow what worldly trends are doing and saying, you know what, it matters that I invest time in my church family uh, because it matters. It's going to affect the life of a young person if I serve in our youth or our kids, or in a small group, it's going to matter that I'm there because I have something to offer. I have a testimony. I have a life. I have things I've gone through. Those things, you, you matter in this family. The small group leader can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. But prioritizing our family matters. And again, it's not like it, for my family... It wasn't that my, my mom and dad had a nice, gave us a nice house and I had a pool. And, but when it came to realizing, you know what? I hadn't had the father-son time for several years that he knew he needed to give. And church is not about we have a good program, the offering is good, the preaching is good, the music's good. We can still be an unhealthy family with good preaching and good music and good programs because people have to be invested in somebody else's life. Coming to church once a month does not make us a church family. It means being together and making memories. Romans 12 tells us we're to be devoted in brotherly love, giving preference to others in honor, not lacking in diligence, but weeping and rejoicing with one another, contributing to other, other person's needs. So the author of Hebrews, number one, prioritizes the family. He says, don't forsake the gathering. Don't forsake it. Number two, he says, hold fast. For me, that means rehearse the past. When I have a family who's in counseling, 
uh, I often, or marriage and counseling, one of the things that they tell you in marriage uh, counseling is to rehearse the past. Sometimes you have to bring out those old Disney photo albums. You have to put some pictures on the wall of the good times because all you've got right now is all the bad times that have been so prevalent. And so sometimes you need to go on Facebook and scroll back to some of those great albums or put some better positive pictures on the wall. Remember, you know what? Good times happened before and they can happen again. And what I need in a church family is people who can help me rehearse the past. Number one, it's remembering that Jesus Christ died. He rose again. He saved me of my sins. He's brought me to new life. He's coming back. That's rehearsing the past. That's saying every time we come to have communion, that's what it is. It's a rehearsal of the past and a preparation for the future. It's saying he died. He rose again. Let's celebrate. Let's get in the frame of mind. This life doesn't all just matter, but there's something beyond this place. That's rehearsing the past. Rehearsing the past is also when I get to hear you in my small group or in our church services give your testimony. Ephesians says that you should remember that once you were alienated, you were strangers, you were once outcast from the promises of God, but now you are the people of God. Now you have been brought near. And so he's saying, that's a testimony. Remember, I was a horrible pagan of a person, but now I'm not. That's rehearsing the past. So testimonies help us remember, hey, guess what? It may seem bad, but guess what? God's good. Prioritize family time. Number two, rehearse the past. That helps people to what the author of Hebrews says, hold fast. Don't forsake and now hold fast. Fast. It's remembering testimonies. It's remembering promises. Hebrew, uh, Philippians tells us, remember, think on honorable, just, pure, lovely things, praiseworthy things. It's even remembering like warnings when Jesus says, don't forget about the story of Lot's wife. Remember, she turned back and she turned to a pillar of salt. She died. People who shrink back, turn back. Don't do that. Remember the past stories. Remember the Bible stories. Hold fast. Number three, make new memories. Make new memories. Memories. The author of Hebrews says, consider how to love and encourage. My wife spent like a year, we've, we've never been to Disney. I've been to Disney my whole life, except for I was like three years old. And she spent like a whole year uh, and, and took out three mortgages. Ooh, no, not really. To, to prepare to go to Disney, right? But it was considering how. It's like, what are we going to do? When are we going to go there? How are we going to do it? You know, we're, gonna get, we're only going for three days because that's as much as we can afford. And, and, and how do we put all that in there? And it's considering how we can have the most time together as a family and have the most fun. What if I put that kind of effort into my church family and say, how can I bless someone this month in my church family? How can me and my church family hang out together and do awesome things? How can we uh, serve our community? How can we love one another better? Consider, he says, consider how to stir up and encourage people in your church to love outside these walls, to love one another. Families in crisis have to learn to make new memories. That means I would recommend you have family game night. I would tell a family in crisis who need to make new memories, you need to, you need to go on a trip together, you need to listen to fun music, you need to, to ha- tell stories, you need to uh, come together every night and have a family movie or popcorn night every, once a week or a family game night. You need to go do something, go on a small trip, do whatever you can, go take a picnic. You need to have time. If life has been so crazy, press pause, go do something together as a family. And the same is true for a church family. Our lives get so busy, so chaotic, so bumpy, so rocky. The best place to be is with your church family having fun, enjoying the joy of the Holy Spirit every time we meet. Making new memories together. Go on a youth retreat, a men's retreat, a women's retreat. Be a part of a small group. Make new memories and encourage one another. 
Going to church is not about what you get from others, but what you can give in love to the assembly. Consider how to love and encourage one another. What can you do this week? Think about it right now, just right now. Press pause. What can you do this week to give love and time to someone in your church? What can you do this week? Some of you need to write a card, make a phone call, take somebody out to coffee, invite them over to your house, go out to dinner, something. What can you do this week? He says, consider how. All the possibilities, what it could be like to encourage and lift up another brother and sister in Christ. Maybe you know someone going through a hard time. You want to lift them up. Just as my family is still a family, no matter where I meet, no matter where we move, what my job is, what our house looks like, a church family is not a building or a program, it's a people. And don't forsake, hold fast, and consider how families make time for memories. Families make time for memories. Worship team, would you come? As they come, think about that. Families make time for memories. It is worth the risk to not be in the rat race of this American dream, to be like the people down the street, to compare ourselves with other worldly people, to say, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to look a little different than the rest of the world. And we're going to enjoy the journey of being the family of God. Yes. With every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you just to think this today, just with the help of the Holy Spirit. How do I consider how to love and encourage one another in my church family? And you can do the bare minimum. Religious people always do the bare minimum. They'll be priding themselves for the times they do come and the times they do show up. They'll pride themselves for how they give in the offering. They'll pride themselves for saying an amen to pastor and good job, worship leader. They'll, they'll pride themselves in showing up. But a true, genuine, blood-bought, spirit-filled person is not in it for themselves, but say, I am here because Jesus Christ has been so loving, so good, so attentive to me. In the overflow of my relationship with Him, I am pouring out into those around me. Are you a good family member? It's between you and God. I'm not here to judge you, condemn you. I want to exhort you to stir up, to challenge you, to consider how. God, have I been religious in saying that I'm just a member, I'm an attender, but I'm not invested. It's not about giving sanctuary more money or more attendance. I don't care about attendance. I don't care about tithing. I don't even know who gives in this church. I want to see a people who are so in love with God that they can't help but love one another. Father, Holy Spirit, I ask you in this place right now to move in our midst, to reveal to us, God, how, how have I been? Maybe I need to spend more time with my earthly family. Maybe I need to spend more time with my heavenly family, my spiritual family. God, maybe I've gotten dull and religious and church has been about me. Or, Father, maybe I need to think outside the box and, Lord, and say, God, how can I be a person, Lord, who is helping bear the burdens of people in this room and fulfilling the law of Christ? God, we give you the glory. I ask you, Lord, just to right now get creative in our minds. Help us, O oh God, to know how to do that and be the people of God. I want you right now just begin to think, God, this week, 
How can I apply this message? This week, Lord, how can I... God's going to put somebody on your mind. Maybe right now He's putting somebody in your mind, somebody He wants you to think about that maybe you don't even know their need, know their issue, but He's saying, I want you this week to encourage that person. I want you this week to call that person. Take this person out to coffee or lunch or dinner. I want you to be involved in that small group. Maybe you're, you're going through a hard time and you need to be plugged in because you're struggling. That's what we're here for, to lift you up, to encourage you, to weep with you, rejoice with you, be together. And lastly is this. You're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, I am not in the household of faith because God is not living on the inside of me. I don't, I, if I die today, there is no certainty that I would be with God in eternity. I don't have peace with God. And if I died today, I can't say 100% that I would make heaven my home. And you don't feel that born again. You don't feel the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. And you say, Pastor Heath, today I want to make that decision. I need to get right with God and give up my past, my present, my future. Say, Lord, I want to be a part of this great calling called the Church of Jesus Christ. You say, that's me. You just raise your hand, put it right back down, and you say, I want, I want that today. That's where I'm at.